Hi, everybody. I'm Rogers Healy, and welcome to Rogers That, a podcast dedicated to selling without selling out. Really, do I have a, a fan on the show, someone I'm a fan of on the show? I never have a fan, but rarely do I have somebody that I'm an actual real fan of. Uh, and today's guest is somebody that I, I unintentionally followed his journey for a long time on social media, on television, on print, everywhere that you could see somebody, uh, this guy was and still is to a different kind of scale. And uh, by happenstance, finally we met at a coffee shop before I drank coffee. Now I drink coffee and caffeine like goat fuel, uh, an incredible energy drink uh, co-founded by Jerry Rice. And I met this gentleman and I became an even bigger fan because he was so engaging, he was so present, and he owned his brand. And so I met Craig J. Lewis uh, through his company GigWage and we became close friends and uh, see each other now quite frequently. But I asked him to come on the, the show today to share his journey about selling without selling out. And ironically, his entire business is about selling a service which all revolves around his uh, brand. So, Craig, thanks for being here and thanks appreciate for revolutionizing on, the way that gig workers get paid. Nah, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. I'm a fan of yours too, just FYI. You said you don't have fans on here, but I, I disagree. Well, then you just took the bait. I Boom. Bet. Boom. Uh, so, so who is Craig Lewis other than somebody who uh, obviously is a sports fan, a music fan, a pop culture fan, uh, a family man, a leader, um, a brand dominator, uh, a social media marketeer? But who, who is who, who is Craig and how did we get to the gig wage story? Yeah, Craig in a nutshell is a guy that wakes up every day trying to do two things. I want to inspire somebody and then I want to be inspired. And so I'm constantly on the hunt to do those two things. And that probably just comes from my up my upbringing. I'm um I was born to teenage parents um, for the Dallas listeners on the east side of McKinney, Texas. So before McKinney was like the place to be, and there was no like west side of the rail- railroad tracks. I was born on the east side of McKinney, teenage parents, projects. Um, but I just always wanted to do something special, man. I you know a lot of this stuff people talk about like are you born with it can you get it i don't know i probably a little bit of both but i just have always felt like there was something special um about this world and about the particular life that i was given to live and so i've just been on this journey to like be inspired and then once i've you know kind of matured i realized it was important to do the same I mean, how old? Let's let's put things in perspective. How old were you when you had? I didn't have my moment until I was like twenty. Man, I knew early. Man, um, people were telling me early. Let me see. I probably see. So I started in sports. So sports was my thing, right? I used to, even though I graduated, I was actually I did really really well in school. But sports was always like my 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 platform, if you will. So I'd probably say around. Oh, man, late elementary, I just kind of knew I was really tall. So I was like 5'10 in the fifth grade. And so, like, I stood out, but I was um, I was a pretty audacious kid, pretty uh, loquacious, if you will. Googling both of those words. Maybe yeah, just yeah. real quick, what was the second word? <laughs> loquacious. That? I, I talk a bit. Okay. That means I talk. I talk a lot. My teachers used to tell me this. I'm also loquacious. I, no joke. <laughs> this is probably why we click. Um, and so I kind of knew like there was something there, but you know, I was always kind of the, the center of attention, the class clown, the best athlete, you know, the most handsome. Mr. Uh, loquacious. <laughs> and so I knew early on and then, you know, I think b- basketball ended up taking uh, kind of front stage for quite a significant while, uh, probably into my mid-20s. And then once I got into the professional world, that's when I it really kind of like clicked for me. And I was like, oh, I can 
I can really have some impact in the world in a different way. See, in sports, if you don't become LeBron or a particular size player. What were you, a four? <laughs> well, I guess I, I laugh because, no, I was not a four. But technically in high school, I might have been a four. But, no, I played the wing. I was a, a, a shooting guard and a like small a, forward. Like a Scottie Pippen type? Yeah, that'd be – I actually I actually played with his uh, – his nephew. Yeah, but like a Scottie Pippen type. Yeah, slasher, defender, above the rim. Wow. Yeah. So who was your Jordan? Who was my Jordan? Uh, that was probably the problem. I never really had one. It was always me trying to – I was, you know, I was Scottie when, uh, when MJ retired for a year and a half. So on the Rockets or the Trailblazers or the Bulls? No, I was – Were you loquacious on the court? No, actually Were you not. loquacious just off the court? Uh, mostly when I wasn't supposed to be in class, <laughs> I was loquacious early on. And then, uh, no, nah, just when it, when it came time man, I just always knew what to say, had something to say, that type of vibe. But on the court, I mean, I talk a little bit like, like KG talk or no, 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 no. I was, I was definitely more of a quiet killer. Really? Yeah. That's surprising. I, I would, I would be much more likely to talk to the crowd than I would the other team. So the worst version of me was my was basketball me okay <laughs> literally and i what does I, that mean every bad thing you can imagine imagine um actually fun fact last time i played in a competitive basketball game um which is a whole nother story the short of it i lost my temper i kicked the basketball the basketball hit somebody the next day i interviewed that person who coincidentally does not work here mm. and he walked in he's like you look familiar i was like oh my god ymca last night he's like yeah i was like and i was like i'm done i can't do it yeah then, no i was i'm i've on the court and off the court, I've always been pretty, pretty cool natured. Same for some reason, yeah. basketball it just it out brings it out of you. Everything, know? yeah, um, interesting. Okay, so basketball, you fall in love with the idea. You're a leader. You're a natural born leader, and I think that your frame is a magnet for just attract. You're, sure. you're just a, a, a big dude, and you've got a, a big voice, and you're talkative, yeah. and you know that could be uh, the kiss of death, or it could be a, a you know a, a blessing, which you consider it to be so, and you took your background of being potentially a statistic and you turned it into a different kind of story. And so, you know, obviously to get us to the world of payroll, which is a, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not a new business. It's been around forever, but you had to have something that got you to that point of not just wanting to be an entrepreneur, but being a business owner, but disruptor. So what was that journey in the world of business? Long and hard and difficult. Um, so I was playing professionally. I played basketball professionally in Europe. It was 2007. My wife and I were getting married that summer. Uh, What's your wife's name? Tanisha Lewis. Hi, Tanisha. She, um, she's the one who doesn't want to shout out. So let me go ahead and give my daughters a shout out because they said the next time I was on TV, camera, that I should say hello. So let me do this real quick. Let me get this out the way. Uh, what's up, Laree? What's up, Lanice? What's up, Layla? Love you guys to death. And um, I don't know when this is airing, but what's up to Zakaya? I uh, hope y'all win tonight. I got so, four daughters. Wow. Yeah, four daughters, ages 5, 8, 11, uh, and 16. Um, and they're a lot of what keeps me going every day. Well, so. hi, Henley. You're six months. <laughs> so if this airs in a few years, you what can up, actually Hen? And then uh, hello, Abby. We just gave shout-outs. This is almost like the price is right. And we're about to go and do the, the big wheel. It's Except, not enough money on prices, right, man? Those are those dollar amounts. We need bigger dollar amounts. I know. Yeah, we play, I, play a little bit bigger. Yeah. Okay, so hold on. Back to... All right. So back get, to how did I get the payroll? So I was playing in... Um, um, it was 2007. It was... I was a couple years into being a professional in Europe. I was in Portugal. Played in the Azor Islands for a team called Angra Basket uh, in Lusitania. So I played in the Pro League in, in uh, the second division in, in Portugal. No Come back. 
yeah, I come back that summer to get married. My wife and I, um, <laughs> my wife and I get married up in the Bay where my father-in-law who, who I played for this, is how I met my wife was at the university of Nevada. I played, I played division one basketball there. He was your coach. He was my head coach. Oh my gosh. Um, and then um, he went on to have an illustrious career as a, a coach, and he was at Stanford at the time. And so this is they lived in in the Bay Area. I come back for the summer after playing. We get married. He asked me, uh, "Hey, have you got it out your system yet?" And I'm like, "What basketball?" I was like, "Uh." And then my wife was like, "I'd never forget when I got off the plane from Portugal back. She greeted me at the airport, and she said." Because uh, she didn't come, like she didn't travel with me. We weren't married at the time. We were engaged. We were boyfriend girlfriend engaged, and she, you know, kind of broke down crying and said, "Don't you ever leave me like that again." Mm. Not in like a real way, but kind of like in a real way. And so, the 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 underlying piece here is my whole life. Again, basketball was my platform, front and center. Um, but I've always been a very cerebral person. Like I'm, I just, I think I'm. I think about what I think about not, you know, like I'm a, I'm a thoughtful person and I've always been fascinated by business, et cetera. And it was that summer after getting married that I decided, Hey, I could have a pretty good career for the next 10, 15 years, bouncing over the world, playing all over the, you know, all over the world, different countries, or I could get a head start and try this business thing out. And when all my buddies are retiring at 35, 36, 37 and looking for the next thing, I'll have a head start. And so I made the decision really early on to stop pursuing basketball. Um, and then I became an entrepreneur because I didn't want to work for anybody. And I started a sports marketing business and that failed miserably. Uh, my business partner passed away. I learned a ton from that, got sued, this, that, and the third. And then I didn't want anything to do with entrepreneurship or sports. So I went and got a sales job and I landed at this little small Where company were you called. In San Francisco? I was in Arizona at the time in Phoenix. Wow. And um, so I went and got a job and I had heard about this company called ADP. It was a, a sales role at a payroll company. And that's kind of how it all started. And when I joined in 09, ADP had just rolled out their first software product. They went from a services company to a software company. So when I started, they were services. And just shortly after, they started selling software. And it kind of clicked for me then. I was like, oh, technology and paying people is a big freaking deal. And I didn't look back since. Well, let's get us like ADP. I mean, in the world of traditional payroll, yes, yeah. I don't like eight billion pound gorilla. Um, and, and so what was eighty billion pound yeah, gorilla, I mean, like massive. Yeah, there's ADP, and then there's <clears throat> there's everyone else on a different <laughs> exactly different level. Uh, so, I mean, what was the uh, with the whole gig? The, how would you describe the word gig? You meet you meet my mom in an elevator, and you say gig. What do you yeah. explain? Well, you're a music guy, right? You have a music background, right? Everyone talks about, hey, I got a gig tonight, yeah. right? You pick up some short term work, and you get paid for it, right? Uh, it's pretty simple. But what's happened is over the last ten years is the introduction of mobile, primarily technology. This ability to push a button and get work, and then the ability to oh, I should be able to push a button and get paid. Those things hadn't married up outside of, you know, the Ubers and the Airbnbs of the world. And so um, that was a trend that I noticed probably around 2016, Uber had reached maturation. And I was like, hmm, other people are going to need to be able to do this. Are you still at ADP? Oh, no. So I bounced around. So I have a ton of experience. I went from ADP to a small payroll company, saw how the the kind of inner workings of a payroll company work. So I was a sales guy selling technology at ADP. 
um, my wife at the time was a um, sports reporter. Um, and for those of you who know anything about that world, it's like a grind when well, you first start out. So we were in Phoenix for a while and she was uh, working for a, a cable network. And then she took a full time job in Monroe, Louisiana, Yikes. which is kind of a part of this world. Right. You got to go to these small markets and kind of one man banded and build your way up. So we went to Monroe and then she ended up moving up market to Baton Rouge and then we started having babies and stuff. But that's a whole different podcast. Um, but I followed her to Monroe, Louisiana, because she had supported me while I was playing ball. So I was like, ah, we'll leave our lakefront condo in Phoenix and go to Monroe, Louisiana. Uh, but ADP wouldn't let me transfer because it was too small. So Monroe. this is really cool. This is actually a really cool story I haven't told in a long time. So. On one, I was going to leave ADP and just figure something out. Um, and on my last trip down, I was helping my wife kind of get set up while I was still in Phoenix taking care of stuff. And I was driving to go pick up some furniture and I saw a, uh, like a park bus bench and it had like a local payroll company banner on there and it had their phone number. And so I took the phone number down and I was like, hmm, this is one of those like mom and pop little ankle biter type companies at ADP we used to do these acquisition sprees where we would call small payroll companies and look like buy them and so I was like instead of calling them to buy them I'm gonna call them and tell them I need a job because I need to relocate so I get back to Phoenix do my little research you know how I've been taught to do and I cold called this payroll company in Monroe Louisiana and I told them that why they should hire me and they're like it's like a 20 person company in the middle of Monroe, Louisiana in a field. And they're like, well, you know, it sounds good to us. Come on down. Let's talk about it. You know, it's real country type situation. So I fly back down. Back then I was cuff links, shiny shoes, suits, every bow, every tie you could think of. So I pull up to this building in the middle of a field and I'm like, oh, wait, I'm overdressed. <laughs> I'm like, I'm way overdressed for this meeting. I loosen up my tie, take off my jacket, roll up my sleeves. I walk in. Hey, I'm Craig. I'm here to meet with the president of the company, David Castleman. Now, remind you, I'm at ADP. Like, this is, I don't know anything about this small business world. So going from the NBA to a middle school basketball game. It, like, maybe elementary. <laughs> and I walk in, and they're like, hey, Craig, how you doing? Real cool. They call me into the president's office and say, all right. And the whole company comes into the office, probably about this size. And they said, all right, sell us payroll. Now. Before Wolf of Wall Street, there was not, this is not selling <laughs> this pen. Pay, there was payroll, sell, sell me payroll. And of course, I could do that in my sleep. I had been trained by the best in the world. This was like, that was a joke to me. So I did it. I got the job, uh, relocated, but that set me on my journey. And I was like, oh, I'll never leave this space. Because once I learned how the business worked, I was hooked. And I've always been fascinated by how people get paid, what they do with their money. Just all of it, the security, the checks, the ink, the print, like it you talk about Wolf on Wall Street, catch me if you can is actually um, you know, something that really resonates with me. As long as you're not a scammer. Well, he yeah. ended up becoming an advisor and consultant for ADP. Seriously? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Frank so, Abernathy. Yeah, Frank ended up designing the security features for the old checks for ADP. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, all comes full circle. Yeah, good you can turn a good thing, a bad thing into a good thing. Okay, so back to a good thing and to another good thing. You decide to enter the world that has probably never been disrupted, right? <laughs> yeah, no. Nah. And, and the people that would consider, you know, mom and pop is one thing with the objective of staying mom and pop, maybe getting acquired, but you want to go and disrupt 
you know, a, a multi-century, maybe not multi, but multi-decade old industry that relies on one way of arranging payments. And so what was, what was the first move to go in and being, you know, it's one thing being an entrepreneur and it's another thing being a business owner. Yeah. So what was the first step knowing that you, you lost before, which I think is the best thing that happened to yeah. entrepreneurs. So what was the, the first step? So funny story. I ended up uh, throughout that journey after the small payroll company, I went and sold software for um, another a software company in, in Chicago. They sold payroll to payroll companies. And so my job was to sell people who had payroll companies or wanted to start them. My job was to sell you the technology to build that business on and then help you build your payroll company. So as I was doing this, again, I didn't want anything to do with entrepreneurship. It was brutal from my perspective. I was like, I'll just go sell software and make a bunch of money and be cool. But as I was helping these other people build their businesses, I had all these ideas. And over time, it just really dawned on me that I, I was like, I know 10 different ways you could build ADP and probably never run into them. Like I just saw all these niches that were massive. That weren't worth it for them to go and try to do. Yeah, because they had built these lifestyle businesses. They had a boat, they had a plane, they were fine. They didn't care, like Craig is great. And so then I started asking myself, well, why wouldn't they do this? And I started answering those questions. Oh, they use third-party software, so that's too difficult. They don't have control of the technology, this, that, the third. And then the biggest thing was they didn't have the audacity, the energy, the stamina to go do this thing probably the vision as well. And so that's when I kind of knew I had to do it. But before I did it, I was like, ah, I'm going to let I'm going to go build a payroll company, just a traditional one, just like do it. And so I built uh, a payroll company as a subsidiary of a credit card processor. So one of my clients had came to me, bought the software. They had built this big credit card processing business and they were like, we're going to add a payroll business to it. You know, kind of like you add these different brands around your real estate business. Right. And then they were like, you know, it's, cocky really smart entrepreneurs and uh they went off and they thought they could do it they couldn't they came back and they said hey do you know someone who could help us and i was like i got a guy and i said let me come build it for you and so i ended up building uh, where were you not monroe uh at this time i was in baton rouge but the company was uh right outside of philadelphia so i was spending a bunch of time in in philly actually it was um at the time it was called alpha card services now it's called simpay so I built a payroll company as a subsidiary of this credit card processor from my brain to the world. So this gave me the ability on someone else's dime primarily to take all of these ideas I had and put them into play. There were still some limitations, but I was like, okay, I can hire the people. I know all the con I, you know, vendors, contracts, technology, service agreements, sales. I got it. So I spent uh, a little time doing that. And then um, I took one more step and I joined... Um, a Silicon Valley-based startup, and that was where really, like, I was like, okay, I'm back. Are you allowed to share what startup Yeah, was? yeah, it was a company called Kairos, K-A-I-R-O-S.com, Kairos. Uh, Still around? Yeah, barely. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, Kairos means opportune moment in time, and we were a timekeeping company. So we timekeeping fed into the payroll. And so that's where I learned about venture capital and product and culture building, really this Silicon Valley style of business. And I was like, I was a chief strategy officer, one of the first three or four employees. And so I spent a little bit of time doing that. And then once I had that, it was time to start this company. Which was when? Um, I incorporated the company June 2nd, 2014. We went operational uh, January 2015. Walk us through the first year. 
brutal. Yeah. Um, so I self-funded the company. It wasn't gig wage. Uh, we had a different payroll idea. It was uh, so I self-funded the company for I think it was about nine or ten months. The first nine or ten months, I kind of paid for everything out of pocket till we raised a little bit of capital. Um, but it was nothing actually. So it was brutal, and like I felt like I didn't accomplish anything. So in that first year, by the time the year was up, I had spent all not all, but I was a lot of my money. I spent other people's money. I didn't have a product that was live. I had customers waiting on a product that we didn't have. I mean, it was just nothing, but it was a lot. And so, yeah, that first year was uh, a brutal. The ROI felt really bad. But we're still here. So, we are. Okay, so again, one of your gifts is resiliency. What, 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 what got you to actual, <clears throat> what got you to gig wage? Mm. So I read this article. No, it was a report from McKinsey on the global independent workforce. I was actually thinking about shutting the company down. What year was this? Um, it was obviously pre-COVID. <clears throat> oh, yeah. 2016. Okay. So you read an article. Read an article. Thought, oh, Uber, DoorDash, all this stuff. I was like, what payroll for that space could be interesting. Nobody's doing it. What would it take? I was like, well, I could do it. But problem was I had sold these investors on this other idea that I was really struggling to do. So do I shut the company down, start a new one? Nah, I don't want to lose these guys' money. So we pivoted and headed down the gig wage path. And it was your first call to Uber headquarters. I have an idea. <laughs> <coughs> My first call was to like a bunch of um, gig economy people and they all said I shouldn't do it. <laughs> and I was like, eh, I think I will. And so the, the, the initial idea was help a small business pay a freelancer. A freelancer walks into the office and they finish their work. You hand them a check. They take that check. They go do what they do with it. We should be able to do that with software. A freelancer finishes their work. The software should be able to pay them small business mom and pop we'll just get it going forget the big boys uber's got it figured out uber was using a company called green dot who would later become investors in gig wage but that was the play man i was like let me help these small businesses so the next thing i had to do which i hadn't done yet was launch a product and get it to work um and so i fired my team brought in a new team built the product Brought on cost paying customers, which was a big deal because our first product was a free product that never launched. But even if it would have launched, it would have been free and I made a bunch of money. So just B2B. Yes, B2B. So the gig workers, we, we're like ADP. You get paid from the company through gig wage. So it's ADP for the gig economy is really what we've built. And? We've done all right. Well, get us to 2020. It was a grind. I kept the team small, kept it tight, really focused on product, hired a great uh, uh, engineering team in-house. I thought that was really important that we own the team and the technology in-house so we could be really nuanced and really particular about what we were building. So we kept a really small, tight team. Um, we raised a couple million bucks. Steve Case, the founder of AOL, has a venture firm. Uh, they came in as a seed investor. We had to raise some pre-seed for the previous company. 
uh, Steve Case and his group came in for gig wage. For gig wage, yeah, they put in, um, <clears throat> and that round was like two million dollars. So we raised uh, like two million to kind of get the to get the juices going. But we were already live with you paying in customers. Yeah, yeah, I've been in Dallas the whole time. This so by the. 2013 i moved the family back here we built the house and i've, I've been here i've been back in dallas since 2013 built it literally and figuratively but to 2020 obviously the world like everybody the world is disrupted which if yeah. you think about my aha moment from owning a real estate company i was like a lot of these people that are gig wage people they don't know what the future is going to look like yeah. so if there's ever going to be a chance for them to get into real estate it's now but, yeah you good know, point. But that's probably when Walk us through that year. I mean, obviously, you, yeah. you're not a quitter. You're, you're, you're not afraid to pivot. But Yeah. Well, by the time 2020 had rolled around, we knew we had a good business. We had great product. We had great customers that loved what we were doing. The, the gig workers loved getting paid by gig wage from the companies that they were doing work for. 2020 was crazy, though, because... You know, we had George Floyd, we had, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement. Things were starting, the chaos of the last couple years was starting to like kick in. Um, but we had been so resilient. Like it was business as usual for us. Like 2020 and 2021 were great years for us, where a lot of people were living in a lot of uncertainty trying to figure stuff out. So, you know, we went on and uh, we raised like another in, in 2020. 2020 is when it started, but by 2021, January, we closed like another 12 or 13 million dollars. Mid pandemic. Yeah. You're raising money. Yeah. And again, that's just the, that's the, that's, that's what this podcast is all about is somebody who doesn't let something like that shut them down, where logic would say, how are you going to go and pay gig wage workers when there aren't gig wages? Yeah. Period. And there's no end in sight. But you raise money to continue to go and scale, which means you probably took over market share or the handful of people that saw what you were doing and wanted to do it instead. They fold it. Yeah. Well, there's two parts to it, right? I think, yeah, definitely, uh, you know, an unyielding relentlessness to build this business. Um, obviously, you have to continue to grow as a business. But I think, you know, when you're raising capital, it's really more about the macro and the vision, right? Do are you skating to where the puck is or are you skating to where the puck's going? So if we're looking at even in today's time, right, you're looking at inflation, you're looking at an upcoming recession or during that time, all of the market uncertainty around, you know, the geopolitical and social political issues. Well, people that invest money and I'm an investor now, too, you're not investing in today, you're investing in tomorrow. And so. There's no reason in a down economy, in an uncertain market, that you can't raise money today because you're technically raising for three, four, five years out. And if you can align yourself with the right type of investor, then they see that as well. So the money comes in today, but it's for tomorrow. That might be the smartest thing that has been discussed or said on this yeah. podcast. I love that. Yeah. So you still did it. And, and, Absolutely. You, and you powered through. And so now you, you, you know, you've had gig wage, you know, for almost a decade, over a decade. Yeah, man, it's been eight years now. The company has been eight years. Gig wage went live summer of 2017. So uh, is it fair to even ask what the next step is for gig wage? I mean, how would you even <coughs> scale it with other than how many people right now are, are essentially fed because of your company? Yeah, 300. 307,000, I think, as of today. What? Yeah. So we've got uh, about 300. So how many people live in the city of Monroe, Louisiana? 
That's a good question. I should I should have my you've, data. You've data you've paid the city of Monroe five times over every single <laughs> yeah, time. Yeah, but but that's a really small number for us, right? And so when you ask what's next, you know, my question is one. I think in 2023 we should definitely eclipse a million people on our platform. But when you think about ADP, where I come from, uh, originally, you know, you're talking about they pay one in five, one in six working Americans, right? So you're talking about tens of millions of people. And we actually uh, last month just uh, brought on our first international customer, so a, a Canadian company that pays U.S. gig workers. So when you start to think about the scope of this thing, there's upwards of 75 million gig workers in the U.S. that work for three to four different companies or platforms. So there's just you know about 1.4 trillion dollars of economic activity. We want to not only take a big share of that, but see if we can help expand it. That makes me loquacious. <laughs> 1.4 trillion. So, I mean, what, what would be the next move? Is it to go and land? Is like the dream account Uber or no, no, McDonald's? No, no. We bring we bring Uber-like technology to the rest of the world. So, we, we hyper-focus on like the real estate industry, tr uh, traditional transportation, uh, trucking, insurance. So, we're bringing that kind of Silicon Valley venture-type technology to everyday working American businesses, right? And so, you know, we, yeah, we've got a lot of room to run, uh, a lot of people to go out and help. But for us, what's next is, you know, in this uncertain time, and I, I think I've been ahead of this a little bit, honestly, you know, you're starting to see in tech and banking, which we're a fintech company, lots of layoffs, uh, people trying to right size their business. We did some of that about nine months ago. So I kind of saw the turn happening. So for us, we're now on this new kind of wave. Instead of being this high-growth, venture-backed company, about nine months ago, we started um, – we wanted to cap our cost and control our cost. So now we're on this path to profitability by next summer. So in the summertime, we want to be running a high-growth, profitable, venture-backed technology business, which is a unicorn in itself. And then on the other side of that, we'll think about the types of financing and expansion that we want to do. I mean, what's your end goal with GigWage? You want to hold, is it a legacy play or is it <coughs> something where you see somebody acquiring you and having it be part of their yeah. umbrella? We're definitely an attractive acquisition target. We get uh, we get reached out to quite a bit. For me, I always say I want to do, I want to, the whole reason I'm doing this, forget tech and business and all this, my driving motivation is legacy and so you know i always talk about and you also know, daughters aren't cheap daughters are not cheap right I, my 16 year old just got a new car oh. the other day and i got three more coming then the weddings you know oh. so my six month old ate <laughs> pears for the first time but morning, that's so, kind of yeah, cool we're getting there. Um, i always laugh at you new parents man i'm like i'm like a seasoned vet when it comes to this stuff but it's cute uh <laughs> listen also legacy be, he's being loquacious again le legacy though New cars and weddings and all that stuff is actually nominal for what I want to really get accomplished. And um, for me, it's about can you see your name, you know, on the building downtown? You know, I don't come from much, man. And so once I figured out that, you know, people leave these legacies. One of my early investors was a guy named Ed Showmeyer. He um, uh, was the CEO of Alcon Labs. And uh, Ed recently passed away about a year ago. But if you go to if you go to Fort Worth, if you spend any time in, in TCU land, 
you'll see the basketball arena is the Ed and Ray Showmeyer Arena. Wow. If you watch them on ESPN, on the tickets, in the magazines, if you go to the Fort Worth Zoo, which is a world-renowned zoo, you'll see Ed and Ray Showmeyer. And we've seen other names, right? Moody, Perot. Well, somewhere along the line, that Lewis. stuff, bingo, that stuff clicked for me. So what GigWage is, it's a, it's, a, it's a medium, it's a vehicle, it's a platform for me to create a legacy. So I need the brand to be really big. I need the business to be really big. If we do that two things will happen one of two things will happen well three things we'll run this really big forever business which i doubt uh or we will get acquired by some amazing company maybe pe Eh, it could be interesting or we'll go public those are really the three options right and so we either get acquired uh, but the goal is to build something big impactful and special uh, something that you know my daughters can be proud of. Like they love all the little gear and the swag and stuff. Now they love when they see daddy on TV. But I want that to impact their trust. I want it to impact, uh, you know, daddy's estate plan that that gets left behind. I want other people to see, you know, the work that I've put in for my family and my friends and those close to me. So that's what gig wage is for me. It's much bigger than just like a financial outcome, although that is tied to it. But man, it's about a legacy. Like. Mm. Are they going to write, you know, how long after I die? You know, I always talk about you die twice the day you die. And then the last time somebody says your name on this earth, how long after I die, will people still be talking about what we've built and how we've helped people? Maybe that's the nugget. There's two nuggets. That's really awesome. Um, yeah, sorry. Uh, before I forget, what, what's the best way to support you? Maybe uh, talk to all the business owners that would utilize gig wage. Yeah, if you're a business, uh, no matter the type, small business, tech company, even large businesses, and you pay 1099 workers, freelancers, gig workers, anybody who doesn't have taxes coming out of their their payment, and you want to do that in a modern way, fast, flexibly, instantly, on demand, while being in compliance, gigways.com, that's what we're literally built to do is help you pay your 1099 workers, um, including real estate agents. Really? Yeah, um, you need to get title companies. I'm sure you do. We've talked to we've talked to some title companies. So there's stacks to this. So it, and, and that's probably way too too much minutia. But yeah, there's lots of the, what we call contractor dependent industries. You have to look at how like the money flows. So mortgage titles. We do a bunch of stuff with field service inspectors, adjusters. Um, but yeah, we're playing in that space. Man, and then how do we find you, Craig J? Lewis everywhere. Um, well, on Twitter is Craig Jamal Lewis because some guy's trying to like hassle me to buy Craig J. Lewis from him. He's been working on me for about two years. Try trying to look at uh, Rogers Healy on TikTok. It's <laughs> not me. It's definitely not you. So yeah, it's Craig J. Lewis um, everywhere. But gigwage.com at gigwage everywhere. That's the best way. Okay. Um, now the uh, the fun questions. Sure. Um, you look back uh, a few decades when you're at the next phase of your life and there's something you're most proud of, what what's that thing that you're most proud of? Other than being the best dad, the best yeah. husband, yeah, yeah, yeah. worldly, what are you most proud of? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the yeah. Craig J. Lewis Fort Worth Zoo? <laughs> and uh, Name the whole zoo. Well, I got to go do Dallas. That's he the did. Craig J. Lewis giraffe. And no. look, it's the Craig well, J. Lewis elephant exhibit. <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that. If, the, the Craig J. Lewis Disney World. In a couple decades, if I look back and I have become the best version of myself that I could possibly become. Uh, 
that would be a win in itself. And I think the residue of that would be a very clear, concise and grandiose legacy that people can see, feel and touch regardless if they've ever met me or not. That would be special. That's where I tell you, you've already done it. No, 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 no. 307,000 people are literally impacted by your legacy. Well, it's more than that. Their families go beyond that, right? So those are the people we pay, and then that pays for subscription, uh, prescriptions, gas, food, you know, housing, clothing. We just did this really big uh, research uh, project with Commonwealth Foundation, Green Dot, um, Green Dot Bank, and, and GigWage about how people spend that money and w- what they're using it for and what else they need behind it. So, yeah, we're touching a lot of people, but no, this is, again, you're talking to a very audacious, very ambitious guy, and um, when I look at what other people have accomplished and the scale that they've accomplished on, we are a startup. Like, we are just warming up. Kiss of death or no? I think the same way. And yeah. it's it's the, um, I don't, never satisfied, right? Never, Which, yeah. I mean, it sucks sometimes. It and definitely I think it's sucks. hard to go and sit there and be like, wow, look at the stuff I've been a part of and the lives that I've helped change, but then... For me, I say every day is Monday, right? Every day yeah. you wake up, you have the chance to go impact somebody. Oh, I meant somebody. to tell you, every day is Monday. I love that because I know what you mean. I always say every day is Friday. This is so funny. I always say it because I, I would prefer Friday. Well, but. see, I, I think it's a choice. So people talk about, you know, how are you doing today? Um, and I'm always like phenomenal. And they're like shocked by that response. And is it, well, it's is, Monday. Is it genuine? Is it authentic? We get to choose. I always talk about, or I say, man, I love Mondays, but I always say every day is Friday. Every day is a holiday because when you wake up, you get to choose my daughter this morning, Lurie. Hey, she woke up sad about something. And I was like, Hey, you just woke up. You can literally decide what kind of day you want to have. And so for me, every day is Friday. I love it. I can't believe I get to wake up and do this. Even though this has been, I don't know when this is coming out. This has been one of the toughest weeks I've had in a really long time business-wise. We had a bunch of stuff just happen. Man, and I'm just like so privileged. In, you would never know. Yeah, but I'm just because I'm so happy that I have a business that this like hard things could happen and we could solve them and we could come out on the other side and like you just get to choose this stuff, man. And I, I just choose to be positive, happy, ambitious. You know, I, I ask my leadership team three questions every Monday. Uh, what are you thankful for? Gratitude, uh, because it's easy to forget like, oh, you know, we're solving this problem and we got to get better and we got to iterate, but which is all true. But what are you what are you thankful for? Because you got to be intentional about that. Second, what are you looking forward to? Right. Like, what are your goals? Because if, if you wake up and you don't have something to look forward to, you're in a bad spot. That's a that's not a good place to be. So I want to make sure you're looking forward to something. And then three, what would great look like? So if you've got gratitude, goals, and, and you're intentional about your greatness, every day is Friday. Happy Monday, Friday, everybody. Happy Monday, Friday. I like it. We're going <laughs> to end with this, which um, good luck answering this question because uh, you might have just answered it for the last 45 minutes or an hour. Best advice that you've received or that you could give? Happy Friday? No, 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 no. Best advice. <laughs> I mean, I got a lot on these. Um, but I, I'll go with this. Um, <laughs> best business advice. Okay. Don't run out of money. <laughs> it's so clear and it's so concise. It is so simple, but it's so important. And I actually have done that before technically. Um, and I still kept going, but it was really good advice. Like don't run out of money. And I'll give you one more actually. And that was kind of a joke, but it's real. No, I th- for business owners and professionals that watch your podcast, 
some of the best advice I ever received was do the things that only you can do. If someone else can do them, let them. Mm. And it sounds simple, but if you start to break that down, you have to then know what are the things that only you can do. Mm. And it's not a lot of things. The hard thing is finding it. This is what I'm saying. Figuring that out is where the real action is. And so uh, as a professional and as a CEO, as an entrepreneur, whoever's watching this, do the things that only you can do. Now, in the early parts, you got to do stuff that other people can do. You just got to do what you got to do. But the goal is to get to a place to where you know what are the things that only you can do and that you put your business in a position to where you can just do those things. What's up? What's up? What's up? I'm Craig J. Lewis, and this is how you sell without selling out. Roger's that.